Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, Mr. Sellout the Rock himself, the misfit, the fifth, the sixth member of the misfit. <laughs> Maybe I could have gotten a job uh, slipping into the drums there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they uh, advertise as the original misfits, but. Yeah. It's uh, not the original drummer, an extra oh. guitar player. But, you know, drummers, yeah. you know, as Neil, uh, that, that they're, you know, disposable, right? You just <laughs> toss drummers in and out. Yeah. But, but oh, my weekend. goodness. Mesfit show. What a crazy night. I mean, um, it was almost like like even my wife asked me, you know, we're like driving home from the show. Like, how was it? How's this? I'm like, I don't know what just happened. Like, this is just like a whirlwind of an evening you know i brought the family you know i'm in prudential center i'm like last time i was here i was riding a zamboni you know meeting uh eli manning um you know most of the time i've spent at prudential center was uh watching the brooke lopez led nets uh you know play in front of 14 other people which was my normal my normal place to be there so just even walking in there and you know one of the cool things about a place like that is just like having access. Mm. And it's like, you know, I've been to this place as just like a fan with no money so many times that when you just have some random pass that now you're allowed to like walk the halls and look at the locker room and go out onto the floor and see everything. It's just kind of cool. And then the Misfits thing was amazing. We quickly met Jerry who was kicking around backstage, very friendly character gave a poster to my son it was a very special special moment uh you know and you know show wise it's, it's a little tough you know you're doing an opening show at a place like that you don't have a, much of a chance to get you know your sound right or anything like that but one good thing about growing up playing in basements is you can manage to sound <laughs> decent anywhere you know after that um so as far as the show went it was cool i mean you know, we, I've learned this from the past. Like when you're playing with a band like the Misfits, you know, the first many rows of people are the people who were outside at like one in the afternoon, maybe earlier, waiting to get this front row seat for the Misfits specifically. And a lot of times people like that, you know, they could just give a shit about anybody kind of coming to play first. But I kind of wallow in stuff like that. I kind of love it. Like when I see someone who's like trying to be like that, it, it make it feeds me and I try to get them excited. And all of a sudden sticking my tongue out at them and messing with them and trying to get it all moving. But the show went great. Uh, man, the misfit show was, was so killer. Like what a big fun production Doyle and Jerry just like insane. Like, I don't know how, Doyle is 60 years old. He looks like a goddamn Adonis still. He's, he looks crazy, like a cartoon character up there. Uh, they played so tight. The crowd was going fucking nuts. A lot of young people, too, you know, who obviously, like, gotten into the Misfits in the last few years, which is cool. I didn't know if it was just going to be a bunch of old punk rockers. But I'm looking around, and I'm like, shit, it's like 12,000 people in this arena for the Misfits. I'm like... I'm like that this isn't a band who's ever had like mainstream success, you know? So like what a cool just cult career like being able to do that at that age like how cool, you know? And and uh yeah, it felt really special to be able to to be part of it, you know? Yeah, no, it it's really cool. I think part of the longevity of them and I know that this is controversial in their history is the merch and the like unlicensed merch that like you know at least growing up in new jersey it's like a, a rite of passage when you're in like fifth sixth grade to have like your like misfit shirt and like rock it around so but 100 percent, yeah no that's a lot yeah it's definitely a big part of stuff like that is just you become you know uh consistent with the narrative it's like oh, okay you want to be a punk rocker you want to get into <laughs> you know, dark punk, you want to get into these darker tinge things? Well, get this shirt, you yeah. know, like this is a, yeah, no, it's definitely a big thing. And, you know, I can't help but wonder when I'm looking around the room, I see that many people and the merch booths and stuff. I'm like, shit, the misfits are cleaning up, but I'm like, good. You know, for all the people who make ridiculous money in this world, yeah. like someone who literally like 
you can give him some credit for for creating and steering a genre you know like almost on their own uh so like fuck it you know they should get paid but you saw a lot of cool stuff i mean it's jersey too so even at one point you see a crew of guys walk by with lodi pizza shirts <laughs> clearly yeah. the crew who works at lodi pizza that they still keep in touch with yeah. and stuff like that and then you talk to them you see them kind of in the wild and you're like wow these are fucking North Jersey dudes. You know what I mean? Like, and they, they're still, they still are what they are, you know? Wow. So was, yeah, it was a, a special thing to do and see for sure. Let, let me tell you, it's, it's, you know, you were talking about having the past and being able to walk around Prudential center. It's awesome to go from like, you know, sitting in the nosebleeds to that. It sucks to go from like having the past to not having the past. Once you have the past, you, <laughs> Once you, have, the past, you always want the past. Yeah. yeah. Back to economy for you. Oh, yeah. I know. I too know. many times. Too many times. <laughs> but you, you know what segment is not economy? In fact, it's first class. I don't. It's this day music history. Oh. Oh, little too. Yes, yes. What you got today? All right. You know, any chance I get to talk about Madonna. Oh, yeah. I'm talking Madonna. And on this day in 1985, Playboy magazine publishes nude photos of Madonna taken before she was famous. Mm. The headline on the cover of Playboy is Madonna nude, unlike a virgin for the very first time. Like, Jesus, Playboy, come on, that's terrible. Uh, Now, it turns out the singer did a number of nude photo shoots from 77 to 1980 starting when she was an 18-year-old at the University of Michigan looking to get some extra cash. Then, after she's a huge star, Playboy decides to publish some of these shots. Uh, also, Penthouse jumped on it and and uh, you know and released some of these shots. They did also turn down nude photos of Miss America winner Vanessa Williams, saying, we think Vanessa genuinely didn't know what she was doing, didn't know her photos might be published, Madonna, on the other hand, posed repeatedly for photographers. So they made like a decision. They were like, oh, you have been like historically slutty enough that we're going to post yours. Kind of like shitty move. Very 1980s, you know? Yeah. But of course, Madonna, you know, one of the reasons she was different and remains different to this day was she had little to say on the matter, but I'm not ashamed. Uh, quote that really became her credo and then you know she obviously like went on to you know her like a virgin phase and then the truth or dare and the book sex and things like that in the late 80s early 90s so i feel like you know maybe she was really at the cutting edge uh culturally of like not shaming people for their bodies not shaming people for what they do particularly women and I love the fact that she never apologized for it and kind of stood behind it. You know, I think that's very Madonna of her, very Madonna of Madonna. <laughs> and I appreciate it. So that's Madonna setting set trends, my man. Big time karma. The fact that she's still around, still selling out shows and Playboy and Penthouse are, are gone. So yeah, and where's Vanessa Williams, you know? Crushing it, crushing it, crushing it, crushing it. Okay, <laughs> I think she's more of a of an actress now. No, I, I, I don't. don't, know. I don't All know. right, give me your this day, and All I'll right. look into Vanessa Williams. All right, sounds good. On this day in 2008, the drum skin used on the cover of Sgt. Pepper sold for one million dollars at Christie's in London. Uh, other items sold. John Lennon's lyrics for "Give Peace a Chance" sold for 832k, and a pair of tinted prescription sunglasses belonging to Lennon which he wore on the on the cover for Mind Games, sold for $79,000. Um, also on that same auction, um, a quarter-inch reel uh, of Jimi Hendrix at the Woburn Music Festival in 1968 went for 95 and a Marshall amplifier that Hendrix used in a concert fetched 50 k So, wow. Benny, is there anything from your career that you've thrown out that you're like, hey, that'd probably be a little worth a little bit of money now? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> i have a stockpile of random shit in my biz it's like my oh shit box 
It's like, all right, if all the shit hits the fan, this is the box I'm selling for some yeah. extra scratch to get to get by for a few months. No, no, I, I've never really given anything too valuable, I don't think, you know, um, yeah. unless it turns valuable in time. But uh, yeah, you know, handing out drumsticks and things like that, I don't think it's something I'm going to regret over any <laughs> yeah. time. But it always is crazy to hear what, what kind of money this stuff goes for for the 100%. collectors. It's wild. Uh, just to tap in, yes, Vanessa Williams is doing pretty well. Yeah, She's had a good life. Uh, oh, yeah. she, she, <laughs> <laughs> she did not go down the tubes. Well, good for them. Good for both of them. I think it's good. She always had that song that was on like the soft rock channels. Like She had a, a decent music career and yeah. then was in the acting. Yeah, I think she's on TV. I think she hosts like yeah. like re- reality shows and stuff now. Yeah. She's she's doing fine. Love it. All right. Love it. All right. Well, let's move on to something that's not cool, not fine, but it pertains to the arts. There is an alarming trend facing musicians in the last few months, and we haven't talked about it, so let's bring it up today. Apparently, throwing stuff at people is back, especially people on a stage. In the past few months, people like Harry Styles, B.B. Rexa, Lil Nas X, Kelsey Ballerini, uh, they've all been pelted in the face and stopped their shows. Uh, Some of them have even walked off stage. Um, Yeah, just everything from phones to sex toys to bracelets. And... I got to say this. I'm not advocating for throwing stuff, but what happened to the days of throwing a tomato? Can you not get a tomato in security anymore? <laughs> um, it's not it's not a, a funny topic, but uh, you've been out on the road. Do, do you see a difference in, in crowds pre-pandemic to post-pandemic? I mean, this isn't something that I've dealt with per se. Uh, you, know, you know, one of the biggest things... I, we deal with which isn't like dealing with but something that happens it's just people like yelling you know what i mean yelling yeah. stuff normally you can't hear because they're really far away and you just kind of hear a you know conglomeration of noise and that can get annoying if somebody's persistent with it and annoys like the other crowd members and stuff but uh that for the most part and of course legions of of underwear and bras that get thrown <laughs> on stage of course you know I have trash bags filled with them in my golden room at home. Uh, so no, I don't have too much experience with this. I mean, really, what what's not funny about it, like you said, but just I guess ironic is like the only thing I know about this is those stories of like the '80s punk bands, you know, a Black Flag playing at a show and like literally walking off like covered in fucking spit. Because that was what skinheads did. They just spit on you while you were playing. Even if they liked you, they spit on you or throw shit at you in it. But those were like different. This is this is not a Harry Styles fucking concert. That was like a very, you know, visceral, low down kind of experience people were doing. This is Harry Styles, like up there in great clothes, putting on like a pop show. Like, like there really is no place for getting pelted with random shit. At something like this. And I, you know, it's kind of a head scratcher in a lot of ways, right? Because as the person I am sitting in this chair speaking to you now, the last thing I'd ever imagine doing to someone I not only like, but I paid an awful lot of money probably to go see and to see close enough where I could even reach you throwing something. So someone literally like must have paid hundreds of dollars and sat in lines and did all this stuff for the honor of like throwing something at a pop star and hitting him. It's not like something you'll get a claim for, or maybe it is on like some dark parts of the internet. And that's like a part I'm missing, you know, like maybe there is like some, you know, creepy subculture that enjoys doing this. Like perhaps that's like actually is the answer. and We just figured it out. Um, but I hate to see it. It's dangerous. You know what I mean? Like you throw any random shit from someone that far away, you clip an eye, you do something like that. All of a sudden, Harry Styles is performing with an eye patch or something like that's it's in the realm of possibility. Um, but to say like why this started and like why it's happening more now and like blaming it on the pandemic, I don't know. I think it's just one of those weird little like Tide Pod kind of things that just like seven fucking idiots like caught on to for whatever reason and now it's a trend 
I think 99.9% of the people in uh, the show going world wouldn't dream of doing something like yeah. that because of how absurd it feels, you know? I think you hit the nail exactly on the head. It's these, it's these kids because, you know, it's probably like people like 18 to 25 going to these shows and they want the TikTok clout. They will do anything to get like the likes and all of the views on their TikTok page because they think it's going to make them famous, which is right. really kind of scary because that's how John Lennon got shot. Like people. Right. That, like, yeah. Like, so I don't know. So what do we do to change that? Well, I don't know. Change how, culture via podcast. Yeah, change culture via podcast. I I just don't know how, now that the genie is out of the bottle when it comes to people getting attention for the wrong things. I mean, you you could also say that's kind of in in the similar vein of how some of these mass shootings have happened. Is is people people? It's not that they want like the kind of love and, and, and attention that like we, we all crave. It, it it's a sick kind of attention that I think exists on the internet that can feed those parts of you yeah and maybe the same reason we see it in sports you know that seemed in the last couple of years people yelling at athletes getting into it with athletes is more and more prevalent so i mean at least harry styles can afford like six giant dudes to stand at the front of the stage yeah. and look out for this shit you know but yeah it, i mean I, i'd like to think it's a minority but it, it is kind of an alarming trend i guess and just the way people are treating other people out there, yeah. you know, love everybody, love everybody. All That's right, it, baby, well, even Harry, even <laughs> Harry. Uh, well, speaking of love, Elton John uh, performed the last tour for the last time in Stockholm, Sweden this past weekend after a 52 career, 52 year career. Uh, his farewell tour netted nine hundred million dollars, which is just incredible to me. Um so yeah, his his farewell tour kicked off in 2018 and was forced to take a pause due to the pandemic, but it finished this past weekend in Sweden. Let me ask you this, because you know I feel like with sports, it's very easy to quantify a career, championships, all of that stuff defines greatness. When you quantify a music career, specifically a one as long as Ellen John's, how do you kind of look at it in a historical context? Hmm. Well, his is unique in a lot of ways because of like what his career was tied up into in so many different ways. You know, like Elton John's career was uh, important for the movement of like, you know, gay rights uh, and him, you know, being who he was so unapologetically so long ago and, um, you know, and, and even moving into the, you know, 2000s and fighting with Eminem and kind of being like the, you know, a bit of a, a spokesperson on that side made it important. Then, of course, you know, the royal family and the song for the queen and like shit like that, you know, obviously uh, a crazy cultural importance. And then even fuck like, uh, you know, the Sing movies, huge Elton John songs. There's literally a uh, a gorilla and sing playing i'm still standing and there's another generation of people you know digging his tunes and i think sometimes that's the way you can judge it because you know if you go to like album sales or something like that it's not really the barometer because you know the backstreet boys have sold you know 20 times more albums than the ramones have and you know like so we can't just go to sheer numbers or the same way in sports that people will be like, Oh, Robert Ori was a better player than Carl Malone. No, he was not. This is just not, you know, this is just how we quantify things. So I think one of the ways you can quantify an artist is by their like cultural significance over time. And if that's what you're judging it on, Elton John is way, way yeah. up there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and you look at, you know, even from like a venue perspective, you know, you 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 think of his like iconic sets at places like the Troubadour in L.A. Part of like I, I don't think we're going to see a generation of, of talent that like there's venues that have become like mythical that mm. they kind of help build the uh, mythology of, you know, we kind of saw that with like Prince and First Ave. Sure. There's a sure. whole generation of people that kind of grew with the American music history 
And uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of uh, sad to see those people uh, taking a step back from the limelight. But but seventy six years old, yeah. heck of a career. You know, give it up for Elton John. And I believe he was quoted at one of his last shows saying, I'll be back in some capacity. So maybe it's not the total last we've seen of Elton, you know? A hundred percent. We need like, it'd be funny if he goes like the Billy Joel route and he just starts playing like Watford in like England. Just like, like <laughs> oh, oh, we should have brought Ian in for the, <laughs> for the Elton. He's got some thoughts about Elton. Yeah. Positive, positive oh yeah positive. loves right. him he's like his king he's like the king of Wofford. yeah <laughs> loves him oh man get him and uh our, our our guy jay demerit back on we could go on yeah and on about yeah we'll that. have an elton pod oh uh, well we got to take a a brief moment here to talk about uh a legend that passed on june 29th and that is alan arkin oscar winning actor for little miss sunshine uh, with a body of work that spans seven decades of uh, stage and screen acting. He died on June 29th at his home in California at 89 years old. Um, more recently, uh, Arkin received back-to-back uh, Primetime Emmy Award nominations for The Kaminsky Method with Michael Douglas. Solid show on Netflix if you haven't watched it, go check it out. Uh, beyond his screen career, Arkin uh, has been on stage since 1961 uh, when, he was on, when he was part of Second City. Um, excuse me, he made his Broadway debut in 1961 from the Second City. You know, it's kind of easy to mix it up there. Uh, Two years later, he scored a Tony Award for starring in Joseph Stein's comedy Enter Laughing. So a lot of great stuff there from Alan Arkin. Uh, Do you have a favorite project of his? Yeah, I was, you know, he's always been a strangely important actor to me. Like when I always saw him in something, like, I don't think I can ever think of a time when I saw Alan Arkin in something. And I was like, even if the movie is bad, even if the writing is bad, he's still good, you know? And like, he brought so much to every project he was in. And it's one of those strange ones because he uniquely was a character in some really important movies for me. But he was always, by the time I got to Alan Arkin, he was in his like, dad slash grandpa part of his career so it always seemed like this very chill kind of cool father figure type to me and there was two in particular um being the dad in edward scissorhands kind of that classic 50s (laughs) everything's you know running off me like water drinking my scotch like just that hilarious like low-key way he played the dad in edward scissorhands and then also the the camp founder in in this movie Indian Summer. I don't know, it's not a very popular movie, not even a great movie, but a movie about a summer camp where the kids come back many years later as adults and Alan Arkin is the uh you know camp leader and the person who runs the camp, a very father-like figure in that movie. And he's like he became in my head like the type of person you'd go to for advice, you know, and yeah. um, and just always had that really like warm yet funny way of presenting himself that made him extremely likable. Um, and then, you know, in Gross Point Blank, he plays the hilarious therapist. He's Mike Myers captain. And so I married an axe murderer. Just these little like bit parts that are great. And then kind of reappeared to me in Little Miss Sunshine, where he essentially like changed my whole thinking about how I want to get old. You know, I've ever since I saw that movie, I was like, you know what? At like 75, yeah, I'm gonna start doing acid <laughs> and maybe heroin and all the shit like I've wanted to do, but I wouldn't let myself, you know. And I know that's like writing and stuff, but again, just the way he played it, how like uh you know grisly and then you you know you mold into loving this character and just like a half hour before he dies in little miss sunshine is is huge it, it it's it was classic arkin where mm-hmm. it mixed like warmth and funniness but kind of like a stark reality at the same time and then you know some late late stuff like you're talking about um you know, I loved him in Burt Wonderstone. Oh, yeah. I know it's a silly fucking movie, but he's he's fantastic in it. 
you know, and as you said, started in the early 60s. I mean, he was literally in Catch-22 in 1970. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful career. And uh, it's one of those weird ones that, like, you know, a lot of big names die. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that sucks. You know, this one I, I heard and I was like, I'm, I was really upset. Yeah. I was. It's like losing someone you kind of felt like you knew. You yeah. Know? Um, other titles that, that we have to mention here. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Classic role in there. Argo and uh, Havana with Robert Redford. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So big Arkin. Ups. Yeah. You kind of don't Thanks. know who, who's going to uh, come in and take the mantle of like that kind of role. Because we like we need older dad actors, but it, it, it's interesting to see who, who's next in that situation. Well, thanks, Alan Arkin. Thanks for for, for many, many years of 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 your performances. It's 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 added. It's enriched my life. Well, only on the tune up will we go from talking about Alan Arkin to threads and Twitter and what happened this past week with all of that in, in the tech space. So Instagram and Twitter, uh, more specifically, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk have been at it for the past couple months. And this came to a head after a number of months for Twitter that have just been head scratching, including uh, last week. I think they imposed limits on how many tweets you can view on the app. So this um, caused Meta, Mark Zuckerberg, to introduce Threads, which is essentially twitter but linked entirely through instagram so and you know people caught on to this and liked it so much within the first few days that uh threads had in the in the first two hours it hit a million users and steadily climbed to 5 million 10 million 30 and 70 and has already passed 100 million users how about that um Benny, we're actually on threads as the tune-up. I've been doing something on threads that I should have been doing on Twitter, which is each and every day I do it this day in, in music history. Oh, love just, it. just so that when we get to it year in, in the years ahead, we can kind of go back and maybe don't have to go through the channels that we currently do I to get this it. information. You're carving out our space. <laughs> That's right. Uh, on the threads. But what do you make of it? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, typical silicon valley back and forth you know one uh one very popular deer came up with a bum leg so the (laughs) hyenas need to get their shit really fast and come get them uh obviously you know twitter's been a fucking mess for a while and losing business and even you know the i've been off of twitter for quite a while now but i would still get sent links from people like you to things (laughs) on twitter which miraculously last week I couldn't look at anymore because mm. I no longer have a Twitter account. So, you know, even just the flash pages of some news, you know, I'm not even allowed to see because I don't have Twitter anymore. So, you know, I think, you know, someone got into that company who, you know, maybe understands engineering and understands, you know, money to a certain degree, but doesn't understand the product you have, what people like from it and how much they'll tolerate to keep using it. I mean, I think it's been the classic mistake of a lot of these social media companies that have come and gone is the idea that they believe they're so important in the space that they can't go away. And I'm sorry, everything goes away, especially in a technological space, like eventually. You know, there was a time when I thought the VHS tape was the only way to consume movies, and I had to have as many as possible. And, you know everything suffers from the idea that you think you're going to be the most important thing in the room forever. So, you know, Twitter's getting another lesson in very smart people competing against you. And uh, yeah, here we go. Here's another one that I'm supposed to get that I probably won't. And the thing that I'll say, cause I've been using it for a couple of days, I want on all these platforms and, and this is when Twitter was great. I don't want to see content that I don't follow. What is with all of these social media companies want you to see other people's content? If I wanted to see that, I would follow it. Like you don't need yeah. to like leave yeah, me yeah. there. I know. I know. The algorithm gets really fucking annoying with that stuff. It's like it's like I literally go onto Instagram like twice a day just to like 
you know, make sure I'm like semi staying relevant in this space. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm on some video. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Why is this even like show? And then I just immediately turn it off. And like, yeah. so I think again, like, you know, they think they're so smart, but there's like a limit to what people are going to take and what people are going to consume. And they're going to have to back the fuck off at some point soon, you know? The next step for them that that Instagram is at least trying is they're trying to compete with Amazon so that you buy your stuff through checking out through Instagram. That's going to be wild. All right. It's going to work. But yeah, <laughs> they already I mean, it's it's already Facebook to Instagram. They already have your phones and stuff yeah. like So, I mean, as long as it's easy for people where they're their cards are connected and they can press one button. They don't give a shit where it's coming from, you know? And if you're on threads, tune up HQ. There you go. go. Get on there. (laughs) We love threads. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of nice threads and, and and a guy who's uh, been tearing up the threads in major league baseball, Ellie De La Cruz, man, we got to get to this because you know that, you know, I'm not a huge baseball person, though. I've been watching a lot more baseball this season since these games are so fast. I, I love it so much. But Ellie De La Cruz this past weekend became the first Reds player since 1919 to steal second, third and home in the same inning. Uh, the latest electric electrifying feat from a guy who has really brought the Reds back for the first time and maybe my lifetime to being must watch. So what do you make of uh has this guy resurrected the Reds? He's resurrected baseball. baseball. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like he is one of those guys coming. Like he came at the perfect time, right? Like mm-hmm. this couldn't have worked out better for base. Baseball has this window right about here where they don't have the NBA. They don't have the NFL. And it's like, this is like the month or two where baseball gets to shine, right? Yeah. And the second everybody started paying attention to baseball, this guy appears <laughs> who, you know, if you're the nominal fan at first, you're just like, oh, the Reds are doing better. They got some guy. And then like, it's like two weeks ago and you're like, wow, they really got some guy. Who the fuck <laughs> is this kid? And then within a week, you have this uh controversy with the nationals where they try to tag his bat and Davey Martinez is going after him. And instead of bitching about it, this kid, he's so fucking swaggy comes up the next at bat, hits a 450 home run and looks at Dave Martinez like, you know, right on the nose guy. And then he does this. I'm like, Oh my God, this is like the second coming of, I don't even know what, cause, cause there's really, you know, the, the, the limited comps for, for people this big and athletic who play the shortstop position are, you know, low and, and close to, to only a rod and guys like that in their prime, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I love what I'm seeing. This guy's exciting me. I mean, that, that stolen base run. I mean, talk about taking a team by surprise. Like, the, the catcher was literally so surprised that nobody was standing at third base to collect his throw that he turns around and talk to the ump and the guy's stealing home. And the time he does that, it's incredible. And one thing I love about it too, is like, this is a true came out of nowhere prospect where the reds signed this guy for fucking $65,000 coming out of the Dominican. Hmm. He made his summer league debut in the Dominican in only 2019. Um, so it's like, this could have been anyone's player. This wasn't like some, you know, uh, you know, LeBron Jamesian prospect who everybody knew about for a million years. Like, you know, any of the 32 teams in baseball could have, could have signed this guy and, and had this opportunity. And I love that, uh, there are all these alternate paths to the, to major league baseball too, that are obviously just as successful. Um, and God knows who the fuck is is down in some of these countries. If you're finding kids like this, you know, who, who aren't even like highly touted prospects at first. So I think it's a, a great story for baseball. The Reds. I mean, the Reds are one of the classic MLB teams. One of the oldest MLB teams have had some some great teams and great runs in the past that it's it's a it's a good franchise to watch be better 
it lets you know a guy like Joey Votto, who's been sitting on the top of the you know scrap heap for a long time, actually playing some some big games, which I like. So I'm all, I'm I'm all for it. I think this is so much fun, and I'm I'm like an Ellie De La Cruz fan. It, yeah, I, I'm fixing to wear like fake gold. I'm so excited about them. It's so good to see baseball embracing who their players are rather than be like, Oh, you need to be like clean shaven and, and yeah. like let the guys be who they are. Cause that's what the, the fans want to see personality. The modern fan wants to see personality. And man, I like, I would not typically watch a, a Reds game. And I think I watched like two in like the past week because see that got, so. yeah, that's it. But baseball needs more of, of this. It's it's good for everybody involved. And I'll tell you what, he can't make the mistake. Don't go play in San Diego because I feel ah. like that's where, like, if you go to play in Southern California, you kind of get off of the, the radar a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, the Reds would be foolish to let this guy walk anytime soon. A hundred percent. So this was crazy the other day. I don't get to watch too much Otani because it just doesn't line up with life. I, I watched his uh, his outing against the Padres last week, and it was the first time he gave up back-to-back home runs. Pitching. Oh, I yeah. Was like, what uh-huh. are the odds? What are the odds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, he's still a human after all. Ah, that's right. Well, a, a human that could potentially be on the move, but we'll, we'll talk about that at a later date depending on what the Angels want to do. Let's talk about... Eight. I think it's looking increasingly like he might be on the move. I mean, if you asked me a month ago when the Angels are at full strength and they're 10 games over 500 and you're like, okay, maybe they can manage it because this doesn't seem like a guy who wants to fall. But Trout, been getting hurt every year for the last few years, is back on the IL. They're 500. They're starting to slip in the standings. And now you really got to wonder – what could be worse for the Angels, losing Shohei Otani or losing him for nothing? Yeah. And I think that conversation is starting as the Angels get worse and worse as the year goes on. That that story is getting thicker and thicker, I think. Do you think that Otani and now you know the, the teams that are going to be in the mix for him, you, like, you have to assume Yankees, Mets, Phillies probably, maybe Cincinnati tries to get into the mix here. Um, do any of these teams have a compelling enough package? Because that that that's what I kind of wonder what the market w- would be for a guy like that. Like we don't typically see teams trade the entire organization like you do in the NBA to get a superstar. I, I, I wonder what that would look like. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> shit. Like if you did it now when his value is this high, I mean, this is the time too. That's that's where it's like, do you wait another couple months for something to happen, or do you? jump on the fact that you could trade the guy who just had maybe the best season in baseball history in June, you know? Yeah. Um, so like, I do think you could, you could manage some really premier players back, um, which, you know, makes me think the Yankees would be a tough team right now, because unless you're giving up, uh, you know, Aaron judge or Garrett Cole or, you know, Anthony Volpe plus every single kid you you possibly have on the roster like you know they don't have that extremely tradable pieces right now especially if you're trying to get off of money so the Yankees one I'm not so sure he's become too valuable you know it, it, yeah, it's kind of that thing bit. you see with like like uh I mean Bradley Beal had had, had no trade yeah. but like like uh Kevin Durant like trying to make sure. his move happen he's too valuable that's it, that's it. Yeah, it's we got the Dame Lillard and the Shohei Otani sweepstakes all kicking at the same oh, time. Oh, the, the West Coast is hot, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, but let's talk about these Yankees, though, because they let go of hitting coach Dylan Lawson. Uh, it's the first time that Brian Cashman has fired a coach in the middle of the season since taking over in 1998. Uh, the GM also made sure that the coach that the next hitting coach will be hired from the outside Uh, Yankees near the all-star break 49 and 42 by Yankee standards. Not great. Uh, Fill me in what's going on. And is there, is there any room for improvement? Because sometimes you can kind of see, all right, if they make this, this, and this move, they will be a contender by September. Kind of seems like the Yankees don't have too many options in that respect. No, they don't. And I think that's the biggest problem. I mean, currently the Yankees are fourth in the AL East. Um, and you know, winning the division is looking more and more like a Sisyphean task, but they are only one game behind the Astros and Blue Jays for the wild card slot. So 
The season is still open. Um, you know, up until a few weeks ago, you know, you could have credited it to just injuries and stuff like that. But, you know, when uh, Judge went out this last time and he ran into the wall, it's always the thing I worry about with Judge is like, he's such a valuable piece to the Yankees. And when the Yankees fall apart when he's not there, that when he makes a great play in the outfield and makes a concerted effort, something you'd want to see any outfielder do, it kills the next month of the season for the team because of it. And that's not the way a good team should be built. I mean, I think the biggest problem the Yankees have right now is this older group of players that they re-signed to big numbers that are not coming through currently. And I'm talking about DJ LeMayu, Anthony Rizzo, Josh Donaldson, and mostly Giancarlo Stanton, which I've said this before on the show. If that guy was on any other team in MLB, he'd be getting slaughtered year after year for the amount of money he makes and the production he has. Um, you know, the 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 Yankees have gotten, you know, one or two bright spot seasons out of Stanton, and the rest has just been a struggle um, for him to stay on the field and for him to even, you know, be a, a, a an important player in the middle of that lineup. And the fact that this offense goes to sleep when you're paying that group of guys shit, a hundred million dollars just this season. Um, that's not good. Uh, and, and that's a big problem, but, um, because they're only a game back in the wild card, Radone just came back who, you know, if he can stay healthy and, and, and pitch reasonably well, then going into every series, you have Garrett Cole and Rodone as your one and two, and it's given you a much better chance. The bullpen is still solid. I think uh, the kids, you know, were put in a position to move forward, and it hasn't happened quickly enough. I mean, Volpe is really young. Uh, Peraza and Cabrera just haven't really rounded into, you know, regular full-time players. But I do see in the second half of the season, if you have a healthy judge, a healthy Radone, uh, and maybe a complimentary move here and there. The season's not over, uh, but it's been a rough fucking month, and this offense has been awful to watch recently. It seems like the vibe of the entire organization is off. You know, you had Hal Steinbrenner go on, on the K show a few weeks ago and be like, nobody's on the hot seat. Then they turn around and, and fire the yeah, first coach. Yeah. And so it's like there, there, there seems to be, like, organizationally, like, oh, uh, a lack of, I don't know if it's communication, connectivity from like the top down. And it's kind of, you know, in some of the contracts that they've given out in the past year that haven't panned out. And I get that the Yankees always like, like spend big to, you know, get, get the big return. But a lot of those chips have not cashed in. No, no. Uh, yeah. That group of older players sitting in there and even, you know, some of the, like, you know, we're watching some, I'm watching guys like Jake Bowers and Billy McKinney and like, uh, guys like this out in the outfield while I'm watching Aaron Hicks just fucking club home runs for the Orioles. I'm not saying like Hicks was a great player for the Yankees, but there's just been a consistent, you know, topple of moves recently that just like really hasn't been panning out. Yeah. It's getting pretty, pretty tangibly obvious. Yeah. And yeah, well, we'll be interesting to see how that goes the rest of the summer, what this team looks like by September. But we got to move to the desert, Benny, because, yes, the orange leather rolls on, specifically on the tune-up. We got Summer League happening right now. I'm heading over there on Tuesday. So if you're in Vegas for Summer League, oh, yeah. please do say hello. I already got, got made fun of by our boy Howard Beck because I'm texting him about the first night. Oh. Sacramento Summer League. He's like, why are you watching this, you nerd? Can't like, wait. What I do, baby. Beck's got to be there. Beck's got to be there. But that's a, a different conversation for a different day. He's like, you're a drummer in a rock band. What are you doing watching <laughs> Summer League already? I'm like, yo. I was very... I'm like, scoots <laughs> on the floor, baby. You know I'm watching. Brandon Miller, first night, pretty good. Since then, not so much. But let's let's start with Wembenyama first. Yeah. The vibes at the Thomas and Max Center, absolutely electric as uh, Scoot made his debut. Uh, excuse me. Victor Wembanyama made his debut. He comes off this whole Britney Spears thing where she tries to meet the kid and oh, the security goodness. swats oh, her out of there goodness. like he does. Oh, my goodness. If someone comes in the lane. Uh, but his he bounced back from a nine-point performance in his first game 
which, you know, he admittedly was like, I have no idea what I'm doing out here. Great 27 point performance in his second game. Uh, what are your impressions of Wemby so far? Uh, we had Jerry West on the radio this weekend, and he said he reminds him of a bigger Bill Russell, which is high praise from the logo himself. What are you making of Wemby after uh, two games? You know, the things I look for in summer league are often not on the court, right? Especially for a guy his age. For someone who's 19, you know, going up against uh, essentially every 6'9", 6'10", player in the world who's trying to make a roster right now, who, you know, fucking bodies the shit out of them. Their body is flying all over the court just because they're trying so hard to make the league. Um, you know, that first game, I looked at the numbers. I saw some of them. I'm like, yeah, okay. Doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter to me. Like, um, the thing that matters to me is like, what are you saying? What do you look like when this is happening? You know what I mean? Like, those are the important things to watch from a 19 year old. And right off the bat, he says all the right things. He's talking team. They got the victory. That's the thing he brought up first. Uh, he's a good teammate on the bench. He's engaged with the game. He's he's clapping. He's in it. Even the way he dealt with this Britney Spears thing, he dealt with it in a way that it's like seemingly almost over already, right? And like that wouldn't be the case with someone who had a worse track record or somebody who dealt with it in an uglier way. He dealt with it in a very eh, kind of French way, which which kind of made it work, you know? Yeah. So I'm a huge fan already of like the way he's carrying himself and dealing with himself in Vegas. As far as the playing is concerned, I mean, there's so much to learn and so much to do, and he's still making an impact when he's out there. And that stuff is uh, not the stuff I pay attention to in summer league. I mean, the only thing I think you can write home about in summer league is watching certain players make a jump, right? Like the second year players specifically, when you watch Jabari Smith jr. And Keegan Murray specifically take over their games, you know, Smith is looking like the MVP of summer league right now. That's what you want to see from former first round draft picks, lottery picks coming into the next year with a year under their belt. You want them to be like, I'm better than the summer league. I shouldn't even be here. I'm way better than this. And the way I'm going to show everybody is by putting up these fucking dominating games. But you really, you know, you can't feed too much into what a 19-year-old is doing in his first two games of professional basketball here. But I got to say, last night, I mean, it was impressive. Yeah. You know, some of the shots he pulls off, some of the space he creates, and also some of the space he takes away. I mean, it's easy to see why... Uh, you know, the predictions are that he's going to make an instant impact in the league, you know? And the reason why Greg Popovich signed a new five-year deal. Yeah, he's like, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, Give me all 100%. of it. 100%. Give me all of it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he does going, going forward. Uh, another guy who is... Oh, the other question I, I had, and it kind of pertains to all of the guys that, that we're going to talk about. Uh, for... A guy like Wembenyama, who granted in Europe, he's, he's used to playing 70 games, 80 games a season. because yeah. That's what they do over there. How much do you think of, we're going to see him in summer league? Do you think he has like one more game and then they're like, all right, we're good to go? Or yeah. has summer league become like a, a longer, hey, let's let's stretch this out and get him accustomed to our system? Uh, I mean, I think, I think he's still going to get minutes. He's still going to get out there, get the experience. But um, to that point, I, you know, I think something becomes clear right off the bat, which is like 19 year olds don't affect winning. You know, it doesn't matter if you're Victor Wembanyama or not. Like, um, and I think it's pretty clear, like the Spurs are going to be bad this yeah. year, probably. You Unless know? they get Damian Lillard. Yeah. Like, like they, you know, they're 25 win team, you know, 30 win team tops, you know? Uh, and one of the reasons I think that is because, I think you are going to see some load management on Wembenyama this year. Like he's never played a game that uh, never played a season like this. Are they going to try and push him 35, 40 minutes a game for 82 games? No, I don't think so. So, you know, I think that's one of the things you're seeing. And one of the things people should ingest is kind of like a 
slow down. Let's enjoy watching this happen. You know what I mean? Let's enjoy watching him get better and become more dominant. But like, don't go nuts after one summer league game and don't think he's going to be the MVP of the league leading him to a championship this season. It's just not how it works, you know? Yeah. All right. Do you want to talk about Scoot Henderson? First game of, of, of the summer league. 15 points, five rebounds. Oh, I love him. In 21 minutes. Um, the Hornets are so dumb. Oh, you you hated that pick. Thus far, it's looking like Ben Stradamus was right. But uh, what do you think uh, Scoot Henderson can provide Portland outside of the air to Damian Lillard? I, you know, like I think you immediately just saw, you know, some of the intangibles you knew you were going to get with this guy, which is like terrific fucking athlete, high, high motor. Um, just that chip, chip on his shoulder, clearly thinks he's the best player on the court every time he's on it. And I'm like, if you're going to hand the keys to anybody, this is who you hand the keys to. Like this kid, you know, some people take the keys and they go, oh, thank you. Let me see what I can do with these keys. Some people are like, give me those fucking keys, <laughs> you know, and Scoot Anderson is a give me the keys guy, yeah. you know, like he shows all those intangibles I love to see and the kind of player that like, you know, get rid of fucking Dame Lillard and start building around this guy. Cause like, that's what you got now. And that's the reason you didn't train Dame in the first place. And you shouldn't assign Jeremy Grant and you should just be rebuilding right now. But you know, the same knock on Scoot is like some of his uh, finishing, some of his shooting. And as we've seen, you know, I spent five years watching people say LeBron James will never learn how to shoot. Like this is the, the, the one of the few things that can be improved and often is improved with time when you're on an NBA roster. So it's actually the least thing I worry about. It's the other stuff, you know, and, and he seems like such a worker from all accounts. He's a, he's a plugger. He's a gym rat. And, and I think it's going to get much better. So sky's the limit for Scoot, and I'm I'm really excited about him as a player. Remarkable path to try to get to the NBA. Stopped playing high school basketball, went to G League for two years to work on his game, and now is uh, ready for the show. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Sure, he could impress now. I want to see what Scoot's going to look like by like February next year up there playing playing with Portland. But uh. Uh, the you know certainly pieces in Portland. Uh, if this Damian Lillard thing is over up there, which we should probably get to and skip talking about Brandon Miller for right now, right? Well, I mean, it won't take long. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, listen again. I'm not gonna go away from what I just said about Weminyana, which is like it's 19 years old, and I'm not gonna go too nuts about what I'm seeing in summer league. He's, he's an athletic kid. He's obviously got a very, uh, a full skill set. He's got a lot of things he can go to, especially offensively. But do I think Scoot Henderson is much more of a sure thing? Yeah, I do. And I think from the get, I told you before the draft, during the draft, after the draft, this is not the pick. This is not the pick. And I do think in the long run, it's going to be a mistake. Let's move on. <laughs> no, Scoot, great kid. This this Brandon Miller thing is is interesting. Definitely not a day one starter as as opposed to Scoot that I think on opening night you're probably gonna see him playing for the Blazers. So, but uh, let's talk about before we get out of here today. Let's talk about the Damian Lillard situation. Uh, a guy who has long uh, pledged his allegiance to the Portland Trailblazers now apparently wants a trade. This has been a development that's been happening all summer. The entire free agency slash trade market is uh, on his shoulders. Nobody's doing re any real moves until after this is over, which sucks for the guys that aren't making like like that are like the mid-level slash vet minimum guys. But uh, where do you think Damian Lillard will be next season? His preference is Miami. Do you think that's going to happen? Where it stands right now, are we talking about where is Dame beginning of the season? Yes. Portland. Mm. That's what I think. And it's because we have a little track record of this now, and things are starting to turn in the league a little. And 
is this owner really going to turn around? I, I'm building my team on Anthony Simons, Shaden Sharp, and Scoot Henderson. This is like my new young core that I'm putting everything on. Oh, sure. I'll just take Tyler Hero <laughs> and throw him into that mix on like on like a very hefty salary. Yeah. And I'll take back Jovich and, and some, uh, you know, 2027, 2029 picks from Miami, who is seemingly always a playoff team. You know, on paper, if I'm the owner of the Blazers right now, I'm like, fuck that. Why? Why would I do that? And I think, Dame, it's it's really remarkable because if you ask me all this time, I'd say Dame's been doing things right for a long time. He's saying the right things. He garners all this favor because of the way he's been playing it. Uh, you know, even when he's losing, you love Dame because you're like, I know he's better than that and blah, blah, blah. And he's been good at this. And then within like a two week span, he just fucking shot that whole thing by not demanding the trade prior to the, you know, to the free agency situation. And I think Portland is pissed about that. They're like, we just brought back your boy to try to make a run with you, you know, and, and, and a week after we do this signing, which everybody knows is bad. I mean, listen, Kyle Kuzma got four for about a hundred million. Cam Johnson got about four for a hundred million. Why did Jeremy Grant get five for 160? What? You know, and I'm pretty sure that happened in the speed it happened to try to convince Dame, hey, we brought back Grant. We got this. We got this. Let's run it back. Give us one more chance to kind of just get it. And then a week after, he demands his trade and says he specifically wants to go to Miami. Well, that's nice and all, but you do still have four years left on your deal. And Portland is not in a position where they have to do it. And it's very similar to Durant with the Nets at the beginning of last year. And I could see this very much for the same reason stretching into the season. I, you know, the the only thing I have to push back on, on what you said is that Dame shot his entire like um, I'm a team guy reputation in the course of two weeks. I don't think anybody's really faulting Damian Lillard for wanting to finish his career out in a situation to try to go deep in the playoffs and potentially win a championship. That said, I like I, I do think trying to do rash signings to appease your superstars is kind of an outdated thing, specifically when you look at the second apron in the CBA that's coming into next season, where teams are going to be even more penalized for being in the luxury tax and penalized for trying to sign uh, guys to vet minimums and stuff like that. So the the, the owners kind of came together during the CBA and are making it a, a lot harder to try to put these super teams together and add guys to a championship roster next year. So with with all of that into account for where Dame's going to go, uh, I, I think you do have, have a point that it looks like he may stay in, in Portland. But man, there, there there's some GMs in this league that are crazy enough to be like, hey, let's risk it all. Like what we've seen with Matt Ishbia, like coming in as, as the governor and, and owner of the Phoenix Suns, be like, we're going to risk it all for this season. Uh, and I, I don't think a guy like Daryl Morey, I, I, I don't think the Knicks are, are above that. And heck, even I, I, I could see a, a, a team like like Boston being crazy enough to be like, you know, we're going all in for this year. Tomorrow's not promised. No, no, I can see it. It's still very much possible. And also, to be clear, I don't think demanding the trade is what ruined Lillard's cultural stock. It's yeah. when he demanded yeah. the trade. That's where... It got ugly to me and where I think Portland fans in general for the first time in this whole time went, hey, come on, man. Before that, I thought it was a very Kevin Garnett, Minnesota situation Mm. where like, you know, those Timberwolves fans by that point were like, all right, dude, I get it. (laughs) Get the fuck out of (laughs) here. You know, we we just drafted Joe Smith. (laughs) I get it. Go ahead. We love you. Go win some rings. <laughs> like, that's what it felt like at yeah. the end. And, and you know, I think Dame very nearly had that and kind of pissed on it a little right at the end. Yeah. Well, divorce never happens amicably, right? Not In often. In most cases. Not so. often. All right. Not often. Well, 
there are plenty of ways to get in contact with this show. Uh, you can follow us on all the social platforms at the TuneUp HQ. Uh, if you want to send us some email, that is the TuneUp Podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. We're on Thread. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter, but we're more on Threads. Check out these, <laughs> this music history. Uh, if you want to follow the big man on Instagram and maybe Threads, he's at Benny Horowitz. I'm at Danny Gallagher. Danny, you got anything else? Yo, thread me later, man. <laughs> thread me later. So how we do? 911. Thread me later. <laughs> All right. Everybody love everybody. Have a great week. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to and watching the tune up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>